source of true delight, my unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading You will uh, turn with me to Judges chapter 3. This is found, if you're using the Pew Bible, on page 202. Now, just a word about what was handed out and what we're about to read, so you may not get the connection between the two. Um, This section of Scripture, uh, Judges, and all all the way up to the beginning of what we call the the beginning of the uh, kings, which was David. In, In this section, the word deliverer or deliver or save is concentrated. It hardly occurs up to this point, but then it's just concentrated and occurs a lot during the time of the judges. Another term that's used only of the military uh, leadership, of the military endeavors of God's people is here, and and it has to do with the Spirit enabling them to do what they do. It's found in Judges, Saul, it's said of Saul, it's said of David. But... It's not really said outside of this in terms of military leadership. So what you have in a concentrated way is spirit-empowered deliverance, okay? Spirit-empowered deliverance. And I thought it would be important as, uh, even though we'll, we'll see this happen several times in Judges, for at least one time to take a, this thing topically and explore what does it mean that Jesus Christ is the ultimate spirit-empowered deliverer to whom all of these point, because we believe the whole of the Old Testament, as our children's book says, every story whispers his name. And these stories certainly whisper his name. And so what is the fulfillment of this spirit-empowered deliverance in Christ? And then what does it mean for us as well? And obviously... Uh, ten pages, that is five front and back. We're not going to get all the way through it. Um, so I will have you out before dinner. Um, I meant dinner, like we say in the South at, at uh, supper time. <clears throat> but um, So much of this is for take-home, okay? And I hope it will be a tool for you because uh, it, it really lays out in a topical way uh, how, how the Spirit... Uh, govern Christ's life, how Christ pours out the Spirit, uh, directs the gospel, and changes our lives by that Spirit. Uh, We live in an amazing, incredible time of the Spirit, and we must understand this and and live it out in the most glorious way we can. So that's what we're about, and that's the connection between Othniel and this little paper right here. Okay, let's begin reading then on page 202. 
Verse 7 of chapter 3. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishtaim, king of Mesopotamia. And we talked about last week, it's really uh, king of Aram uh, Naharahim. So it's got a, a neat sound in the original. Uh, and the people of Israel served Cushan Rishtaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer, for the people of Israel, who saved them, same word, just the verb and the noun, deliver and save, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. This means delivered Israel or, or won the battle for Israel because that's the action that is given here. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishataim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishataim. So the land had rest 40 years, then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And you recall what we said last week that this double mention of Cushan's name at the beginning, kind of in the end, is like a bracket in which he describes this event. And his name means double evil. And uh, it's not likely that his parents named him that. You can just imagine parents getting together and say, I don't know, I was thinking about double evil. You know, <laughs> maybe evil Knievel's son, maybe, or something like that. I don't know, double evil, you know, to go beyond evil Knievel. But uh, most likely, this was a name given to him by Israel, a name that uh, indicated the kind of evil that he brought to Israel and the, the cruelty and the oppression. The, the helplessness that they had. They were under double evil. So it underscores the, the power and deliverance of Othniel here, that he, even against this double evil, who came from the same place, and reading this future back into it, the same place where Assyria came from and Babylon, the two nations that, brought, uh, that uh, defeated Israel and scattered them among the nations. So this is a place, reading back into it, of tremendous evil, of tremendous uh, oppression and finally uh, destruction of Israel. And, and yet here's Othniel able to bring deliverance by the power of the Spirit, even against this foreign double evil, Kushan uh, Rishatai. So well, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to understand the, the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, the riches of the Spirit and what all He accomplished in Christ's life and what all He accomplishes throughout the history of the world and in our lives personally. And Lord, we pray that because of this, because of a deeper understanding, because we believe all the more, that we rest all the more, that we obey all the more, that Lord, we will, we will manifest the glory of God in our lives. And it can truly be said that we are being transformed from glory to glory by the Lord, the Spirit. Oh, God, what does that mean? What can that mean in each of our lives? That we're being transformed to the very glory of Jesus even now. 
And then to think that you have predestined us, as Paul says, to be conformed to the image of Christ in that final day so that when he comes, as, as Paul says, he will transform our humble bodies into conformity with the body of his glory, that we will actually share the glory of the humanity of Jesus. Lord, what? What you have in store for your people, what what we are now, it is so humbling, Lord, that we broken, pathetic, rebellious people could be gathered up and called forth and carved out of where we were and made this new this new community of people being conformed to Jesus Christ of all things. Oh Lord God. Help us to see this more clearly and to live it out in our lives. We, we know that this is your very purpose for us. We know that you've said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be open to you. You said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so, Lord, we, we would pray expectantly that you would gush forth in new, fresh ways uh, your spirit, or that we would understand that you have given your spirit and that we would live out our new life in him. Bless us for that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in the New Testament, it's, it's very interesting how much time is devoted to let us know what Christ has accomplished for us to inform us, teach us who we are in Christ, what our new situation is in Christ, what our new relationships are in Christ, what our new capacities are in Christ, what our new future is in Christ. So much time is spent so that we think differently about ourselves and who we are, what we are, and where we're headed as human beings. So the scripture never just starts and says, this is what you're supposed to do. It always comes to us. And and almost, if you didn't understand what it was about, you'd think, okay, okay, I got it. But we don't ever get it, really. We don't get it near like we must. But it, the scripture's always laying before us who we are. It, it's kind of like if you were... Uh, just mulling around in a kind of average job and somebody calls you up one day and says, did you know that you had this uncle? You're already like, yes. <laughs> yes, you had this uncle and uh, you didn't know he was like once removed, so-and-so. And, and uh, he had so much money that he gave you some. Yeah, how much? Well, it's like tens of millions of dollars. You know. So unlike this story which I'll tell you as a way of contrast, there's this guy and his wife uh, who would go to the carnival, the fair, every year. And this fella wanted so badly to ride in the little biplane that they had there, but it cost $10, and they were country folk, and $10 was a good bit of money for them. And so every time he would talk about it and get close to it, and his wife would say, well, Harold, $10 is $10. Yeah, yeah, I understand, you know, and... Next year again, he just saw that and said, God, I'd love to write. Yeah, Harold, but $10 is $10. So this, he's getting up in years, you know, like my age, you know, and he started thinking, 
golly, I, I don't have that many years left. And he really was standing in front of the plane looking at it. And the guy who flew the plane could see him talking about it. And uh, he said, I just, maybe I'll never, but Harold, $10 is $10. So the guy hears this and he, he, he comes over to him and says, I tell you what I'll do. I'll let you fly in the plane. And if you don't make a sound, no yelling, no screaming, nothing, then the ride is free. So he takes him up, and I mean, he spins it, he dips, he, uh, you know, just everything in the world to try to make them scream out, but no scream, no sound at all. So they're pulling in, uh, and the guy shouting back says, man, I thought I was going to get you guys to say something, but you didn't. He said, well, I almost said something when Marge fell out, but $10 is $10. (laughs) Why is that story so good? I don't know. but. But here's my point. When you get this inheritance, $10 is no longer $10, is it? Right? $10 was something before you got the inheritance. It's a whole different thing. $100 is a whole different thing. $1,000 is a whole... $100,000 is a whole different thing. Everything is different now, right? In terms of your finances. And that's the point in terms of the Spirit coming and being poured out in such a glorious way. You might say in the Old Testament that we get pockets of the Spirit. Uh, Many times when we lived in Mississippi... And there were tons of uh, cotton farmers and soybean farmers uh, in Mississippi, as you know. And some years there would be these scattered showers, and some farmers actually had a pretty good crop, and other farmers hardly had any crop because the rains were so scattered. And that's kind of a picture of the way the Holy Spirit was given in the Old Testament. Kind of like how you didn't really understand that clearly, though there were hints of the Trinity and hints of Christ, but then the full uh, unveiling of Christ. And so it was with the Spirit. So instead of these pockets of rain, you might say, in the Old Testament, it's like the map of the southeast sometimes when you see, and the whole southeast is blanketed in storm. There's not an inch anywhere that's not getting rain, okay? That's a picture of what happens in the New Testament. That's a picture of how of the fullness of the Spirit. Everyone receives the fullness of the Holy Spirit poured out into every person's life, into the richest, fullest way, so that Paul can say of all of us, we have received every spiritual blessing in heavenlies, every blessing connected to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brings everything of Christ's to us. That's our new situation. That's the glorious difference that we have because of Christ giving the Spirit. And so we're going to go through a little bit, not dwelling on many of the places and and getting uh, closer to the end where we want to talk about Christ changing our lives. So $10 is no longer $10, right, for us in the Spirit. So it's wonderful to see that Christ had the Spirit when He was on earth. Spirit 
enable Christ to do everything he did. He, it's prophesied that he would have the Spirit. He was even conceived by the Spirit, as you see here. And then that last paragraph just explains how his whole ministry was carried out in the power of the Spirit, beginning in his baptism. And then in his temptation, the Spirit led him there. And when he returned to do ministry, he was uh, led by the Spirit. He cast out demons by the Spirit and prayed in the Spirit. He gave his commands in the Spirit. Most significantly, Hebrews tells us he offered himself on the cross through the Spirit. And so in this way, some people put it this way, that Jesus didn't cheat in terms of being the God-man. And we don't fully understand how this could be, but in his humanity, he depended utterly upon the Holy Spirit. And this gives us encouragement. Because he, depending upon the Spirit, resisted the devil. Depending upon the Spirit, he did ministry. Depending upon the Spirit, he prayed. And now he gives that Spirit to us. He was led into great difficulty by the Spirit. And so we know that when we're led into difficulty, it's by this same Spirit. And so as the Spirit enabled Christ, He enables us to live out this life, especially thinking of the Spirit enabling Jesus to sacrifice Himself, to be a servant to that ultimate degree. That's the Spirit that indwells you. That's the Spirit that is here to make you be that kind of person who sacrifices Himself in love to those in your family, those in your church, and those in the world. He's going to do that. That's who he is. That's what he does. You can expect it. You can depend upon him. You pray to this end. And uh, in, be encouraged, too, that as the Spirit was upholding, enabling, and empowering Christ to do all of these things, it was, of course, for God's glory. But why was the Spirit doing it? It was for your benefit. Everything you see the Spirit do with Christ is so that you would have a Savior. So that Christ could be proclaimed to you. So that you could have Him as your refuge. The Spirit loves you. The Spirit has an unending passion for your good. And all along, as He's upholding uh, Christ, He is thinking about uh, Christ's people. Well, on page 2, Christ then, being exalted to heaven, pours out the Holy Spirit. Uh, You can see at the bottom of the page, in that John 7 uh, passage, the last verse explains a little bit of it. uh, Jesus was speaking about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet, at that time, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when He was glorified, when He was exalted to the right hand of God, then He poured out the Spirit. Peter said that in Acts chapter 2 when he preached the first sermon uh, after the pouring out of the Spirit. He says, what you see in the speaking of tongues in your languages is they're proclaiming to you the goodness of God in your language and the mighty deeds of God in your language. You are seeing the evidence that Jesus is at the right hand of God. That's what this is about. So at the Uh, This is spoken of by John, that I'll baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One of the most repeated sayings of John, uh, both in the Gospels and in Acts. 
we know the, the story from Joel 2 and how it's fulfilled there in Acts 2. And there's, Jesus, there's Peter's uh, quote, "...being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing." We can see these uh, other texts here, but I want to just point out a couple of things. In the uh, almost middle, a little bit lower, Abraham's blessing to the nations. It was said to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's a fantastic promise, right? All the nations, all the peoples, all the different peoples and languages of the world will be blessed through your seed, through your descendant. And Paul says, this is fulfilled in the promise of the Spirit. So that comprehensive promise of the blessing to the nations has its fulfillment in the pouring out of the Spirit upon the nations. That's how critical the the Spirit is. It's not a side issue. It's the ultimate, final, glorious issue of God's promise. the, The promise of the whole Bible has its fulfillment in Christ. And so uh, he then brings everything to us. If, if he is the centerpiece of this final fulfillment, it must be that he brings everything. As we said in Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing is ours in the heavenlies uh, through him. Uh, and I want you to note that in Galatians 3 and John 7, and on the next page in Galatians 3 again, it speaks of how... We receive the Spirit by faith. Helpless dependence. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his water will flow rivers of living water. And he's speaking of the Spirit. Here's the qualification. Whoever trusts me. Whoever helplessly trusts me. In all of your weakness, in your brokenness, in your sinfulness, I don't care what your condition You come, you rest yourself upon me, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living. This is a promise to the helpless. It's only a promise to those who will helplessly believe. If you think you've got your own resources to live to the glory of God and to be everything you're supposed to be, then you're not going to depend on Christ. But when you come to the end of this and you realize how far away from being pleasing to God you are, and you begin to depend upon him, then things really begin to change in your life. But how encouraging. It's not asking you to get to a certain point. It's not asking you to be this or that good or to accomplish this or that thing in order to earn the right to get the Holy Spirit. No. <laughs> Whoever believes. And in Galatians 3 on the next page, he emphasized it's not by the law. It's not by flesh. It's not by your doing. You can't do anything to get the Spirit. You helplessly rest in Him, and He graciously gives you the Spirit. How encouraging, how willing Christ is to give His Holy Spirit. How willing the Spirit is to come to us. And so, Christ had the Spirit on earth. He pours out the Spirit from heaven. And then this next section on page 3, He brings forth the gospel through the Spirit. It's interesting that the whole ministry of the gospel in the New Testament, the whole preaching of the word can be called in this phrase there in 2 Corinthians 3, the ministry of the Spirit. Just think about that. The whole of the New Testament 
is called, and the whole, whole work of the New Testament, the whole preaching of the Word, all throughout history, Paul says, it's the ministry of the Spirit. That means there's no ministry outside of the Spirit. But it's encouraging because the ministry, uh, the Spirit is constantly bringing about this ministry. Um, now, the little next section about the Spirit revealing, the only reason I didn't type all that out is because I wanted to try to stick to five pages front and back. So this is very, very important. And I hope you'll take the time. It's, I know it's trouble to look up those verses, but that's a great uh, section of Scripture right there concerning how the Spirit reveals truth to the apostles. It will encourage you some in, in even understanding how we got the Word of God, how we got the New Testament. But then the next section uh, accounts how... The Spirit is, was constantly involved in the preaching of the Word and attended the Word of the apostles with, with great power. Uh, onto the next page, uh, Acts as well just recounts again and again how the Spirit directed the gospel and filled the people of God uh, again and again to carry out the work of the gospel. So those two sections just show you that it was the Spirit bringing this about both in the epistles of Paul and uh, other epistles as they describe it, and then as Acts describes it. And I just want to say this about that, that the Spirit's close involvement in getting the gospel out in this way shows his passion that he, for the gospel, his passion to get the gospel to all of God's people. Um, we, you know, the Lord Jesus says that, I have sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them. He's speaking of all of those who are outside his immediate group of of disciples, all of those throughout history. And he just declares, I must bring them. I will bring them. As he said earlier in John, that's in John 10. Early in John 6, he says, "Uh, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. Paul has the same thing on his heart. 2 Timothy, he says, we labor and suffer for the sake of the elect, that they may receive the salvation of God. So the people of God, moved by the Spirit of God, are seeking to bring all of God's people to himself, scattered throughout the world. We don't know who they are. So we preach the gospel to anything that moves, so to speak. But you see, therefore, as as you see him so closely attend the work of the apostles and the early church, You can be sure that he closely attends you in all of your work. Now, I I would say in all of your work, like your regular jobs and everything you do. And so that's part of it. But the thing I'm especially emphasizing for your encouragement is all of your work toward bringing people to the gospel. Your hospitality to have unbelievers in your home. Uh, The effect that you have serving on boards or committees or organizations in the community trying to both do good to your community and to rub shoulders with unbelievers so that you can share your life with them. Uh, your, Your kindness, your friendship, your service, your mercy, your prayers for unbelievers, he is all about that. He is uh, all about when you begin to discuss the word with someone as God's given you opportunity and a relationship in which to do that. 
You can know that the Holy Spirit is mightily at work, always attending these things. How encouraging. You're never alone. You're never out there, you know, by yourself. You're always attended closely. He's always at your elbow. He's always going before you, behind you, with you, encouraging you and strengthening you and pouring out blessing left and right upon his church. And then finally, the fourth section, which is obviously the longest, but Christ changes us by the Spirit. Christ changes us by the Spirit. And hopefully this will encourage you. You're familiar with John 3, that we are born of the Spirit, born from above. Perhaps is a better translation than even being born again, indicating the direction from which our Life comes. It doesn't come from our own. The flesh is going to stay flesh. We have to be born of the Spirit. As he says there in John 6, it is the Spirit who gives life. I love this phrase. The flesh is no help at all. You know, just always remember that about your own life. Darwin, the flesh is no help at all, dude. None. It's the Spirit that gives life. If you and I began every day just with this little motto, it could change the way we think about our life, change the way we think about obedience, the prospect of obedience, and the pride with which we go into so many days. Like, I'm just going to go through this day without any thought of, I'm helpless, absolutely helpless apart from the Spirit. But by the Spirit, I can do all things. We must continue to have these, this, this mentality the Scripture wants to give us, that it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. On the next page, notice that you were, in the top verse, you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So all of these things that were brought to us are being cleansed in Christ, are being sanctified, are being justified The Spirit brought these about in our lives. You owe Him everything that you have in Christ Jesus. Every response that you had to Christ, every benefit of being sanctified and justified and washed, you have by the Spirit. And especially notice, drop down one to Romans 2 and 2 Corinthians as they speak of the the work of the Spirit that is inward, circumcision of the heart. The outward circumcision was not the real thing, Paul says all along. It's being circumcised inwardly of the heart, even as it says in the Old Testament, that I will circumcise your heart so that you will love me with all your heart, soul, and mind, Deuteronomy 36. And so here it is, the Spirit, and this is the encouraging thing, He works in your innermost being. It goes right to the Let's say the heart of the problem, no pun intended, right? Right to the center of who you are. And in the same way in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, you're a letter written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God on tablets of human hearts. And so this couples with what we read earlier in John 7, where he says, if you believe in me from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so... This, what's encouraging about this is sincerity is a real possibility with the Spirit because He's not working on the surface. He's not working so you'll go through the motions, so that you'll just do what's right outwardly but not have any heart for it. 
As Paul says in Philippians 2, he works to will and to do for his good pleasure. See? So that we want to do his pleasure and we do his pleasure. That's when life is good, isn't it? When you want to come to worship. You really want to come to worship. You're eager. You want to visit that person. You want to call. You want to have people over. You want to love that unbeliever. You, want, you really want to. What's, what's, what's hard about that, really? And now, of course, even though we don't feel these things at times, we continue to discipline ourselves and we keep asking, Lord, bring about the sincerity of heart. But these kind of verses are the ones that you can pray again and again and say, Lord, you promised this would be a work of my heart. I am struggling loving my wife. I'm struggling loving my children. I'm struggling loving my husband. Oh, Lord, renew my heart, my innermost being. This is your promise that you will do it. So uh, he, he changes us and he, he, he renews us and gives us this new life. I, I love the phrase in... Uh, Romans 4, where it says, He calls into being that which is not. Now, he's talking of Abraham giving birth to a child when he's 100 years old and his wife is 90. And you can say, okay, no way, no possibility, can't happen, but God's the one who calls into being that which is not. And by the Spirit, He does that in your life. He calls into being character that just is not. Okay? He starts from nothing. It's okay for the Spirit, right? Starts from nothing. Starts from a vacuum. He starts from barrenness, from disorder, from chaos, from deadness, darkness. He starts from there. And then he does a mighty work because he's the Spirit who moved upon the waters in Genesis. And so he moves upon us. Well, the next two just kind of follow from this, that uh, he renews us uh, and then uh, he incorporates us into the body of Christ and he enables us to confess Christ. The next page, page six, I know, looking at the clock, got to get moving. Um, Gloriously, then, we become the dwelling and temple of the Holy Spirit. Amazing truth. As Paul says, you are God's temple. That's in the plural, y'all, like we say in Alabama and somewhere in Texas they say that. Um, I know y'all use the word fixing as well. I always want to say, fixing what? I'm fixing to go somewhere. You know, I use that all the time. But uh, y'all are God's temple. Collectively, as the people of God as a whole, he dwells in us, okay? And that's why it's important for us to act in concert because we jointly become the temple of God. And yet, 1 Corinthians 6 speaks individually. Your very body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why doing what you do with your body matters because your body is the holy place now. And that, that's why in, it's okay. I think everybody understands that this is, they call this the sanctuary. But some place, some some. Churches, they want to really make sure that you understand this is not the sanctuary. This is just an auditorium because the sanctuary is where? Yeah, right here. You all are the sanctuary. So if we met out in the parking lot, guess where the sanctuary is? It's out there, right? It's in here. This isn't it. This isn't the house of God. It's just the place where the house of God meets, right? 
This is the place where the, the temple of God meets, which you are that temple. You are the holy place. That's your dignity and that's your high calling to live out being the holy place, to truly be a holy place, which you are, because you are the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. And following from that, the Spirit enables us to worship. We have access through the Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians. John 4 looks like God's looking for worshipers, you know, when he finds them, but it means that he seeks to make these worshipers. He will seek and cause worshipers to be, uh, and, and they will worship in spirit and truth. And Philippians 3 is very clear. We worship by the Spirit of God. And notice, we're the circumcision. He, he calls the Jews who've rejected Jesus the, uh, the uh, lost the word. The def- the, the, those who've been deformed, so to speak, is his, his word. I, maybe I'll think of my word in a minute. Um, but because their circumcision means nothing because they've rejected Messiah. But Paul says, we, even though you've not been circumcised, he said, that doesn't matter. But we're the true spiritual circumcised. The Spirit has circumcised us, and now we worship by that Spirit. We glory in Christ. Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit and then address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, giving thanks in everything. This comes only by the Spirit. And again, brothers and sisters, every Lord's Day, the Saturday night, we all should be in prayer and say, Oh, Lord God, unless you come, unless you enable me, I will not worship you tomorrow. I will not. It's not... A, it's not <laughs> It's not enough to just show up and go through the motions, be sure you say everything. It's heart worship, engage worship, worship in which we adore Him. We're astonished at Him. We're kind of brought trembling to Him. How's that going to happen? Are you even expecting that? Are you expecting to be exhilarated in the presence of God? We must expect it. We must be eager for it. We must not take anything but that. And just Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, through all the prayers and worship, that God would just fill us over and over and over, and it would just get better and better and better. It also mentions prayer and and Ephesians and Jude, and then even Romans 8, when we don't know how to pray, He enables us to pray. That's how involved the Spirit is in everything that happens in your life. Helping you even in your weakness, knowing exactly what you're struggling to express and can't express, and don't even know how to express it. And even there, the Spirit says, I'll take it from here. I'll handle this. I'm all about this. I'm on to you. And I'll take it to God. Wonderfully, along these lines, the Spirit enables us to know, experience, and believe the love of God. Oh, this is critical. And it's so wonderful to think the Spirit wants you to be gripped and amazed at the love that God has for you. And He's going to be connecting that in in your life. I mean, Paul says it. We already read this. His love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's a graphic way to say His love connects with us intimately and we're moved by it. We understand it, believe it through the Holy Spirit that's given to us. And on the next page, Paul prays for the powerful spirit to work in our innermost being 
so that all of us together will understand the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You kind of think of the Spirit empowers you to resist temptation, and certainly He does. But you need the power, the unlimited power of the Spirit to do what? To know the love of Christ. That's what you and I need. And so, in one way, Paul says, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. In another way, he's praying that the Spirit would enable us to know the love of Christ. And then Romans 8 and Galatians 4 is that great passage about uh, being the sons of God and how the Spirit in us enables us to say from the heart, my father, daddy. You know, that, that, tr- that childlike expectant trust that I'm cared for by God. He nourishes me. He's devoted to me. I'm safe in his arms. The Spirit brings that about in your heart. <laughs> he even says in Galatians 4, He's sent into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And it doesn't mean that He cries instead of you. It means He cries it out so that you cry it out. That's how involved He is. He says, I'm going to make sure, Darwin, that you say this and know it and believe it and rest in it and relish the fatherhood of God. That's what the Spirit is about. And uh, closely connected with that, of course, the Spirit then brings about new character in our lives. Second Corinthians, probably the most uh, comprehensive statement. Um, oh, that word I was looking for with uh, circumcision is mutilated. Okay, so thank you, thank you. <laughs> Wake up in the middle of the night, mutilated. Kay's like, what? <laughs> Um, okay. Um, but this is probably one of the most comprehensive statements where it says we're being transformed into the very image of Christ as we behold his glory. We're, we're not apart from that glory. We're not separated from that glory. It's not just something we admire. Amazingly, we're conformed to the glory that we admire. We're conformed to the glory that we worship, the glory that we adore. And this comes from whom? The Lord, who is the Spirit. And here, the Spirit and Lord are called by each other's name because they work so closely. The Spirit accomplishes what the Lord Jesus wants Him to accomplish. And so, it's the Spirit that brings this about. And of course, all these passages, you can read through them as they outline, of course, the fruit of the Spirit, and then love in the Spirit, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. And then drop down to the next, the last one. Uh, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Do you want to abound in hope? Brothers and sisters, do you want to be filled with hope, nourished by hope, being given endurance because you have hope, a great expectancy in your life of what God's going to do in your life and finally what He'll do in the end and that to generate energy in your life. You can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why does he say this? Because he wants you to enjoy this. He wants you to benefit from it, the Holy Spirit in this way. That's what the Spirit is about. And again, I want you to think about the creator and sustainer of all the life on the earth. When you see these giant flocks of birds or a giant flock of zebras running across the zebra running across the uh, African plain or one of these glorious schools of fishes, you know, fish where they're just 
shining and, and moving around. You just think the abundance, the prolific life in this earth. That's the spirit that's taken hold of me. That's the spirit that's bringing life and fruitfulness and abundance and strength spiritually for me. He indwells me. We must be thinking of these things, that he will bring about these things in your life and my life. Well, you'll see uh, again in the next page similar things about the spirit, especially in the way he brings about fellowship and love And then how he sets us free from disobedience, sets us free from death and the law. Uh, That's, I think, explained in that little section. And I want to skip just to the last one on the bottom of page 9. The Spirit is the first fruits of our future resurrection. He's our seal and the guarantee of our final salvation. The assurance of God's presence with us now and forever. And you see Paul's great statement in Romans 8. Not only the creation, that is, groans to the, for the final deliverance, which the creation itself must enjoy, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And on the last page, he's called the guarantee. The guarantee. Three different places. And there in Galatians 5, the third one down, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That means the hope of final salvation, the hope of final deliverance from, from uh, all of sin and misery. We see the Spirit makes Himself known and is our guarantee and seal and promise that these things are sure to come because you've already got the Spirit. You, you just guarantee. You got it. You got the Spirit, you're going to have everything. You can't have the Spirit without having everything that's finally going to come to you. It's all yours, and He's your guarantee. And that's why uh, the Spirit can, is so often associated with glory. And I love that passage in 1 Peter. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Isn't that wonderful? Even in the midst of persecution and loss, to think of yourself even then, I'm not ultimately defined by this pain and this difficulty and this this persecution. I'm defined by the fact that the glory of God dwells upon me. The glory of God dwells upon me. The Spirit owns me. Same thing with 2 Corinthians, which we've already read. And there I think you should bring into play those verses from the Old Testament that speak of in, in Old Testament language about how the, there will be a fire by night and a cloud by day. Well, this obviously is fulfilled in the fact that the Spirit blankets you. You are the temple of the Spirit. And you remember when the, God would fill the temple, the, the priest would have to run out of the temple both that happened with the tabernacle and later it happened with the temple because of the glory of God. And brothers and sisters, if we could see it spiritually, we would hardly be able to see the glory of God that's breaking out from your lives, your very lives, because God has taken hold of you. And there's this likeness to Jesus. And it's so wonderful, Paul can say... In light of all that happened with the the exodus and the dwell and the, and God revealing Himself on the mountain, He says, "All of that's not even glorious compared to the glory now." You know what the glory is? 
You're being conformed to the glory of Christ. Oh, I wish I could see it, you know, spiritually. wish my eyes would have to be shielded from all of you. Although I see it a lot. I see it day in and day out. From all my associations with you to see the richness of God's grace in your life. I love that phrase in this uh, hymn that we sang where it says in depths of woe, His helping love no limit knows. His helping love no limit knows. At the end of uh, Field of Dreams, if you've seen that movie, you know, if you build it, he will come. Um, such spiritual richness there. Um, but uh, at the end of the movie, I, I do always get tearful when he pitches with his father there. I just, I just break up every time. Um, not that I've seen it a dozen times or anything. But uh, so at the end of the movie, as they're pitching there. You, you, you wonder what's going to happen in the future. And, the, and you look up and there's this line of cars that are coming to the field. And I think of changing those cars to these huge 18-wheelers. And every one of them is full of the grace and power and riches of the Holy Spirit. And it just goes on forever. And that's your life. That's your life. There's no limit to His loving help. No limit. And He's shown it in giving you the Holy Spirit Himself. Let us pray. Lord, we pray your blessing. Pray that you would uh, enrich us, Lord, and enable us to know you, to worship you, to serve you faithfully in Christ. Oh, Lord, make us to know what we have in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Bless us. We thank you that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. For listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. fears away won't you chase my fears away